You are listening to On the Rise, a podcast from West Claremont Schools. Thanks for joining us as we explore our core values of relationships, innovation, student-centeredness, and empowerment. And now, say hello to today's host, Mr. Mike Overby, our Chief Operating Officer. Welcome, everybody. This is Mike Overby, Chief Operating Officer, and I'm here today with Eric Duell, who is our Director of Student Services, and this is the second edition of our On the Rise podcast. So, Eric, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. Thanks for having me. Great. I'm glad you're here. Talk to me about your background and your current role here at West Claremont. My background, let's see. I began my professional career as a school psychologist uh, with Cincinnati Public Schools, having earned my graduate degree from the University of Cincinnati, um, go Bearcats, um, worked as a psychologist with Cincinnati Public for about five years, mainly in the Avondale area, um, where I got my first taste of systems change and trying to develop broader supports for students um, in need. I had exciting opportunity to help develop some school-based health centers um, in that Avondale area, which was, was exciting work for me. Following that, I spent about five years as a student services manager or um, administrator overseeing supports for all of the district's high schools. And again, had an opportunity to make some change for the system and better preparing our students with disabilities for post high school educational opportunities, work, um, independent living. Um, It was sort of a new initiative for the district and and got me involved with lots of different community um, organizations and opportunities for students. From there, I spent five years working with Hamilton County Educational Service Center as the principal for uh, the Learning Center at North Norwood, which is a regional school for students that have significant mental health and behavioral needs. That experience really taught me a lot about what behavior is as a form of communication and the ways in which we respond uh, to behavior to ultimately help students um, make growth socially, emotionally, and then ultimately academically. Following that, I spent nine years with Loveland City Schools as their director of student services. Um, Again, having the opportunity to do some systems work to make change for that district, um, building a mental health model in partnership with uh, the Children's Home of Cincinnati, which is now Best Point, um, as well as trying to build a more comprehensive approach to serving a diverse array of student needs in terms of social communication or assistive technologies, um, ways to help students better access education. Um, And then I came here to West Claremont um, and have had uh, a really great time working with the district, working with the community, the various stakeholders that we have to wrap services around students. Great. Thank you. Well, it sounds like you have some urban experience, some suburban and rural experience over your career uh, as a school psych and as an administrator. Yeah, I think it's served me well. Um, I've, I've gotten to look at student and familial needs and school system needs from a different 
different perspective with each opportunity. But at the end of the day, the needs are the same. The ways in which we address them are largely the same. Mm -hmm. The practices that we follow to affect positive change work regardless of the setting that we're in. So that, that's been a constant, I think, in, in my career. So we know what a principal is. We know what a superintendent is. We know what a teacher is. What does a director of student services do and oversee at West Claremont? Well, the role at West Claremont is a little different than what a typical director of student services role might be. When people think, at least in the world of academia, think of student services, they think of special education and confine their vision or their understanding of student services to special education. And while I consult a lot on different aspects of student needs um, within the world of special education here, that program is overseen by other administrators and support um, staff. Here, I have the opportunity to make change and really develop partnerships for the purpose of change. Um, but ultimately, wherever you are, think of student services as those things we do to allow students to have access to learning, to participate in learning, and then ultimately to make growth um, in their learning, whether that be academics, whether that be social emotional development, or whether that be the other soft skills that they need to be independent and productive post high school. So boiling it down even further, Things like our school-based health center you help with, correct? I do. Um, our school counselors at the middle school and the high school. I do. You work closely with Child Focus at, as our mental health partner. Yes. Okay. And this year, we brought on school resource coordinators. Can you tell me just a, a little bit about what they do? Our school resource coordinators, I think, have been an integral missing component to the ways in which we meet student and familial, familial needs. Um, they really bring a social service lens to the table when we talk about um, the various reasons why students have difficulty accessing and participating and making progress at school. We've often missed the social service lens. So what are those things at home and in their daily life that are having a negative impact upon how well they're able to access and participate and progress? Um, whether that be access to food, clothing, shelter, um, making connection to helping a family um, access health care, mental health care, um, a wide array of different um, things that a resource coordinator helps us with. And this year they've, they've already shown a tremendous impact in the three months that we've had them, mm -hmm. um, being able to get kids to school on a regular basis by overcoming those barriers that exist in their ability to do so. Great. And I forgot to mention too, you mentioned one attendance mm -hmm. and then our school health clinics. So yeah. uh, you have a, uh, a job that is, has a lot of variety to it. And I'm, I'm never in need of something to keep me engaged. Right. Well, we love having you here. So thank you for being part of our team. So I have some questions specifically around threat assessments. And many of our listening public may not know what a threat assessment is or why we do them in school. So we wanted to spend some time today just getting digging a little deeper into uh, what, how important a threat assessment 
is to our students and staff and families. So what is a threat assessment? Well, a threat assessment is a process that a school or other organization might go through to evaluate a threat that's made um, to determine to what extent um, that is a legitimate threat or just a one-off statement that somebody might have made um, that needs support in some way to ultimately keep everybody safe, whether that be the student or individual themselves or others that that student or individual might be engaging with. Mm. So it's a, it's a defined way to have different viewpoints, different lenses, looking at a situation, identifying what we know about that situation, and then ultimately how do we respond to that situation um, for the purpose of safety. Right. You and I are about the same age, I think, so uh, have common experiences both being Gen Xers. Words that we said maybe as a kid or young adult are taking at a much more serious approach today. Is that correct? Very much so. We, we really need to reiterate with our stakeholders, including our students, the seriousness of making statements that might might have at one time be seen just as venting or um, spouting off at the mouth without any true intent. We don't know that there isn't intent anymore um, based upon the context that we find ourselves in. Mm -hmm. um, we have shootings and other acts of violence that happen throughout our country on a daily basis. And because of that, we now have processes in place to allow us to better judge how to respond to those types of things so that they don't ultimately become um, acts of violence against us. Thank you. So um, we'll get into like the particulars of a threat assessment a little later, but it is now a high revised code or state law that we have threat assessment teams, at least at the middle school and the high school by March. So who is on our threat assessment teams? What type of roles do you see or have on our threat assessment teams? So we're really taking it seriously in terms of how we develop those teams. Um, again, as you said, not just at the middle and high school, which is currently what the mandate is um, from the state of Ohio, but we're also establishing them at our elementary school teams because we see it as an important step in ensuring safety everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, different roles, again, as, as I said, we are focused on trying to have multidisciplinary approach to this, um, different lenses that can offer different pieces of information to that team. Um, you know, for all cases, we work very closely with our technology team um, because they can help us look at what that student's online history has been um, and can help coordinate um, further if we need to engage with law enforcement outside of school to help look at what online history might have been outside of school. Um, we have school psychologists, school counselors, um, members of our school health team, like our district supervising nurse. Um, has been trained in threat assessment, our school administrators, um, and then members of our mental health team as well, um, all bringing different viewpoints to bear on individual situations so that we can comprehensively identify what do we know about that case. Everybody from their siloed um, professional role has access to different 
pieces of information. And acting alone, we don't get the full picture about what might be happening with a student or a situation. And by bringing that team together around those situations, we're better able to really hone in on what's going on and how do we respond. Great. So did you come up with a threat assessment? This has been the result of actually decades of research. And what do we know about human behavior? What do we know about communication? What do we know about acts of violence and threats of acts of violence? Um, when we talk about the concept of a threat assessment, that really began with the Secret Service and work that the Secret Service had engaged in um, many, many years ago around understanding threats and how to respond to threats. So that was one line of um, research that had been conducted and continues to this day um, for environments in general. There's also a large group um, through the University of Virginia um, that also has been conducting research on a national and international level and developing a model much like the model developed from the Secret Service. Um, that model through the University of Virginia is um, often what's referred to as the Sandy Hook model because um, that organization uh, really bought into the Virginia model um, as, as being the one that they wanted to promote and support in nationwide efforts. So those two models that exist on a national and international level um, based upon research that basically do the same types of things, mm -hmm. they just might be formatted a little bit differently. Um, in terms of the state of Ohio, there's also an effort undergoing or underway through the Ohio School Safety Center to sort of merge the two models into a model that might be more Ohio specific. Regardless of the one you choose, the Secret Service model, the Sandy Hook, Virginia model, or the Ohio School Safety Center model, they all do the same things. They're all based in research. They're all extremely effective at um, the outcomes that they attain. Um, we have happened to choose the Virginia model, the Sandy Hook model. Um, it has been the most robust in educational settings. Um, it's the one that most of us in academia speak of when we refer to threat assessment, and it works well for us. And I'm proud to say that uh, a group of administrators, including myself, were, and counselors and law enforcement were trained, I think, in 2019 uh, as one of the first districts, I think, in this area that had gone through the training. So really proud that this has become part of what we, how we keep our kids safe. So bottom line to all of this is, we didn't create this model. This isn't a district model. This is a, a model that has been researched and proven effective through either the University of Virginia or through the Secret Service, correct? Absolutely. Great. So have we ever had to use a threat assessment on a student here at West Claremont? Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, threats are a part of daily life mm -hmm. and um, when you work with adolescents, teenagers, children, um, again, people communicate in different ways. Um, people haven't developed fully their ability to be rational in emotional situations. Um, that's part of what we do in education is to help them get there. Um, so we have situations where statements are made and it's our responsibility to 
vet them, to understand them, and to respond to them, um, whether that be through disciplinary measures or whether that be through um, restorative practices where we're teaching the skills that they need to hopefully communicate in a different way in the future. Um, that could happen educationally or through mental health services, any number of different strategies. Um, ultimately, our goal is to help that individual grow and make different choices going forward while at the same time assuring safety for everybody. Great. So you've been here about a year and a quarter now. What have we learned and what have we changed when it comes to how we administer a threat assessment and what do we do with that information? I, I could I confidently say two things that we have done systemically to maximize the effectiveness of that process are to develop clear administrative guidelines or checkpoints as to when we will engage a threat assessment process and then at what point we might bring in other um, team members to that process, for example, through our school resource officers, um, law enforcement. Um, not every threat would immediately jump to a law enforcement involvement. Um, many do. Um, so if it's a substantive threat, a threat that we believe is legitimate and it poses some imminent danger, or if it's a threat involving a weapon, we'd bring in our law enforcement as an example. So tightening those guidelines and checkpoints, tightening the ways in which we um, communicate with the stakeholders around a threat, um, you know, for example, school staff that are involved, and then ultimately our community and parents. Um, that's been one strand of improvement I think that we've really been focused toward. The other piece would be strengthening the multidisciplinary approach that we have. So making sure that we have others who are engaged in that process and where we've seen the need, reaching out for other resources so that we can help build it. As an example, um, we recently wrote and received an award for grant funding through the Department of Justice, uh, Bureau of Justice Assistance, which will allow us to add mental health therapists to our school teams, um, something that we haven't had robustly in the past. Because of that, we now have another lens, a licensed therapist that can bring to threat assessment teams um, their perspective when needed. Um, so that I think is something that gives us another edge on being able to really respond well. But then ultimately, if we have kids in need of mental health services afterwards, we have that here, um, which is exciting. It is very exciting to be able to um, hire with a partnership with Child Focus, three mental health therapists uh, for our district. That is a $954,000 grant that we received that Eric was a huge part of. And we're the only agency in Ohio that has received that grant this year. So you should be very proud of your work on that. So I appreciate that. Team effort. For all the things that you, we've been working on, from getting our staff trained to have a multidisciplinary teams to meetings with our law enforcement agencies, through now a grant uh, for th uh, therapists in the district, I feel like we're in a good spot um, when a threat happens in the district. But many of these threats don't happen during the school day. They happen maybe in the evening, through social media, through um, sleepovers, things like that. If a parent, a student, or community member has gotten wind of a threat, what, what can they do? 
there are multiple ways that a stakeholder in our community can relay to us as a school district a threat when it is made. Um, obviously, you can go directly to the school administration where the children um, attend, um, but we also have two processes available um, that can be anonymous if you so choose um, to remain anonymous where you can tell us what your concern is. What is it that has been threatening um, that needs to be addressed in some way by us? Um, we have on our district website an anonymous reporting um, process that you'll find there um, under our hazing, intimidation, bullying, and harassment notice. Um, we also have in the state of Ohio a um, phone number that you can either call or text. It's the Safer Ohio School hotline or tip line. Um, that number as well is posted on our website um, as well as in our school buildings for parents, community members, students, whoever, to be able to make that, that report. Mm -hmm. When a report is made to our school website form, um, that is immediately transferred to the school administration for follow-up. Um, they then um, report back to my office with regards to how that threat was handled, um, and I assure that it's done in a timely manner in an appropriate manner to, to be able to meet the need at the time. When it is made to the Safer Ohio School tip line, that goes directly to the principal, but it also goes to law enforcement or other stakeholders that um, might be able to assist with that situation. Um, so it's just a different way of making that report and a different way that we get that information directly to the school team um, to be able to follow through. So a student, parent, staff member, community member has multiple ways to let us know if there is a threat or a uh, safety issue that we need to address. They can tell a trusted adult, teacher, administrator. They can complete the online form. They can um, text or call the Ohio Safer tip line. And then they also could call 911 if they needed to, if there was an immediate threat. Oh, absolutely. That, I think... I would recommend if it's something that's imminent mm -hmm. and dangerous that you always call 911. Um, I would not rely on making an anonymous report necessarily through the website or through the Safer Ohio School tip line because there's going to be a delay in getting um, first responders to that situation. So if you have a student um, or know of a situation where there's imminent threat, please act on it by calling 911. Um, yeah. And we have such a strong partnership with Pierce Township, Union Township, and the Claremont County Sheriff's Department. We're probably the next call, uh, or an administrator there is the next call to help support that student or keep all of our other students and or keep all of our students safe. Absolutely. So anything else on threat assessments before I ask a different question? I think we've, we've covered, you know, the major components to it. And again, the purpose is to keep everyone involved safe, um, but that that other main goal for threat assessment is really to wrap services around the individual who's made that threat. Um, oftentimes that entails access to mental health services or other supports um, or educational things that we would engage in um, to help that student or individual um, begin to learn different ways to manage their frustration and um, voice 
concerns that they have rather than in a non-rational manner. So as we know, but many may not, that many of our safety initiatives, initiatives are interconnected. Um, and I'd like to give a little teaser for some other work that you're working on called the Whole Child Network. First, what is the Whole Child Network? And then how does it connect to school safety? The Whole Child Network is our effort to pull together the various stakeholders that exist that can, again, at the end of the day, help us to assure students have access to education, can participate in education, and ultimately make growth um, with their learning here at school. Um, not just district stakeholders, but our community partners as well. Um, anyone from social service agencies, mental health agencies, physical health um, agencies, um, law enforcement, um, our local parishes, um, nonprofits, a, a wide array of, of groups that can help overcome barriers to education. Um, because every student that we have has a different context that they find themselves. And the, the different barriers are as varied as the students that we have. Um, so the more we can come together at the table to look at systemically how are we responding to these needs and collectively pulling our resources together, the better able we're going to be able to get students to school and to keep them engaged um, so that they can ultimately be successful. That, in a nutshell, is, is what we mean by whole child network. The various things that it entails, all in support ultimately of, of academic growth and learning, are the specific curriculum that we offer. You know, for example, what do we teach through physical education and our extracurricular opportunities, our social emotional curriculum that we have? You know, many parents might have heard us refer to a, a caring school community um, as our basic social skills curriculum, K through eight, um, many other components to it, such as web at the middle school where everybody belongs and link crew at the high school and hope squad um, where we're teaching specific skills that will allow um, students to thrive. Um, the next component would be direct services that we provide either ourselves or through our community partnerships. You know, for example, we have school psychologists and school counselors and health clinics um, that we ourselves provide um, to students direct services. Um, we also have partnerships with the Health Source of Ohio through our Wolves Wellness Center, um, through Child Focus in terms of providing mental health services, through Mercy HealthPlex, um, which not only provides opportunities for students for physical and mental wellness, but for our school staff, which is a critical component to assuring students do well. Um, the next piece would be, what are we doing to assure safety for students, whether that be physical safety or mental health safety? So everything from our physical plant and structure to how do we respond in crisis situations, um, such as through the use of the ALICE protocol, um, when there might be an active incident on campus, to nonviolent crisis intervention, how do we verbally de-escalate individuals when they're acting non-rationally or communicating non-rationally, um, to our threat assessment process that we just talked about, to um, mental health wellness, um, 
all of those components to assure that students are safe while they're at school. And then the final component being, how do we really dig deep and involve our families and our community partners in all of that work? So threat assessment at some level is one component to that whole body of work that really looks holistically at all of the different ways we help students thrive. Great, great. So I'm gonna steal some words or some thoughts from Princeton City Schools that Mrs. Adams shared with me. We wanna know the student's name, we wanna know their story, we wanna know their strengths, and we need to know their challenges. If we know those four things with the whole child network and threat assessments, we're in a much better space than maybe we were in the past. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Ending, um, you know, our core values are, and we started this with, uh, it's on the rise podcast, it's relationships, it's innovation, it's student-centered and empowerment. How do threat assessments speak or connect to our core value of rise? Relationships, I can't think of any other process that doesn't just exude how we relate to one another. And how do we reach out to offer help and support, um, even in the midst of a behavior, because a threat is a behavior, that can be off-putting and concerning to many. Um, we have to be able to connect and build relationship to prevent things like threats from occurring in the future. Mm -hmm. Innovative in that we're really digging deep to find all of the ways that we can better know our students and better respond to when our students exhibit needs, um, including the ways in which we can almost instantaneously activate, you know, for example, our technology team to be able to tell us within a matter of minutes, what does this student's online history look like? And um, does that speak to anything that we need to add to the, the plate when evaluating context? Student-centered, my gosh, I, how can anything be more student-centered? Um, understanding the entire context around a student to know why they did what they did and where their needs might be um, so that we can better address those needs. And then, you know, I, I'm sitting here thinking about the last component, you know, empowerment. There are really two things that I strive for daily in the work that I do, because um, ultimately I want students to be resilient, to be able to fail and pick themselves back up. But at the end of the day, a sense of efficacy. And by efficacy, what I mean is the ability that they can succeed. When you do something that might not be the best choice and to have a team wrap around you and find a way to ultimately lead you towards success, I can't think of many other things that speak to what I'm talking about. Um, hopefully, when a child comes out at the other end, they're more resilient and hopefully they have a sense of efficacy. And that alone will carry them further in the future um, than something such as responding in a strictly disciplinary manner. So again, going back to what is the intent of, of threat assessment, ultimately it's to empower students to do better. Um, and that's what we want them to do. 
Thank you. And I'll um, say this uh, as we're closing up here is that we will continue to work tirelessly to fill the gaps and remove as many barriers as we can for students through the use of grants, through the use of partnerships, and the community as a whole to keep our students, staff, and community as safe as we can. So I appreciate everybody listening today. Thank you, Eric, for your wisdom, your thoughtful approach uh, to working with our students and keeping us and our students as safe as possible. 